Yes, it's me, Eric Erickson, in for Sean Hannity, who is on vacation still, the slacker. <laughs> I'll be here with you through 7 o'clock. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800, WSB-TALK. Uh, let me diverge a little bit. I, we got to get into this, the CNN story. We really do. It is such a big story, but I want to um, go at it in a different way here at the beginning because yesterday was the 4th of July. I was off on Monday. Uh, and though I did read a bit of the Declaration of Independence on Friday, there's a point that should be made here. And I see Jonah Goldberg talking about this at National Review today. Uh, the issue of would you still love America if its ideals were changed? The phone number here, 404-872-0750-1800, WSB-TALK. Would you love America if its ideals were changed? You know, people forget. Nowadays, I realize the way history is taught and everything else, we don't really pay attention to it. We don't worry about it. Uh, we don't process it anymore. Our kids don't learn it anymore. But the American Revolution was actually a very conservative revolution, if anything, it was the reassertion of rights. You see, the within the lifetime of the American revolutionaries, their grandparents, by and large, had fought in the Glorious Revolution. They called it the Glorious Revolution because uh, James II uh, chased out uh, William and Mary, came in, the English Bill of Rights was established in 1688, and it would have been the grandfathers of the men in the American Revolution who were involved, or great-grandfathers at, at latest, in the Glorious Revolution. And you see, the American founders believed themselves to be British. They didn't believe themselves to be Americans. They, they were Englishmen who happened to live in the American colonies. And it was a shift over time dealing with the British where they finally started viewing themselves not as colonialist Englishmen, but as South Carolinians, Virginians, New Yorkers, Massachusettsians, whatever you call them. But they believed in the American Revolution that what they were doing was they were seizing the rights from the Bill of Rights of 1688. If you read the Declaration of Independence, if you read the writings of, of Thomas Paine, of, of Dickinson, the Pennsylvania farmer, and others, if you read the private letters of Hamilton or Madison or Adams or Jefferson or Washington, they really believe they were entitled to these rights and they were being denied the rights by a tyrannical government in Britain. And for the longest time, they blamed the government and not the king. It was only at the end that they blamed the king himself. And they decided, you, you, you know the line, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which was actually the pursuit of property. But uh, Jefferson, uh, even though he owned slaves, wanted to get away from slavery, wanted it to be happiness instead of property and, and get out of the slave debate. And they believed, like our American Bill of Rights, that they were entitled to a free press, they were entitled to a trial by jury, they were entitled to legislative hearings and meetings and no taxation without representation. 
And that's what the war was fought over. Contrast that with the French Revolution. The French Revolution were a group of revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow the old order and bring on something new and unknown. The American revolutionaries wanted to throw off the new order and go back to something old. They wanted their English rights from 100 years before. It was really a game-changing revolution, and the fact that they then produced a written document out of it, a written constitution, the oldest still-used written constitution in the world, it's a pretty amazing, profound bit of history. Which brings me to the CNN story. Now, if you've been tuned out for the last few days, I don't blame you. This is such a ridiculous story. The president over the weekend tweeted out a GIF. Uh, it's an image file, an animated image file, a .gif. Now, you should know that the founder, the creator of the GIF, calls them a GIF, but as everyone in the South knows, GIF is your favorite peanut butter brand, and it's pronounced GIF, and we give no respect to the creator of the GIF and his views on the matter, because if we did, then we would have to treat Jar Jar Binks as legitimate in Star Wars, so forget it. No, it is a GIF. So the president tweeted out this gif, this animated image of him body slamming a wrestler. It was from an old WWF or I guess now WWE match. And the wrestler's head was replaced with the CNN logo. So it appeared the president was body slamming CNN. The person who released this gif that the president then retweeted had also earlier sent out an image that had a star of David next to most of the employees of CNN, the implication being through his his image that the Jews controlled CNN. CNN was able to do some good journalistic detective work and figure out who this person was, although you should know that at this moment as I'm speaking, there is a credible report from BuzzFeed that CNN may have gotten the wrong person. In any event, CNN decided to release a story saying that they had found the person, the person had deleted his account, the person had apologized and would never do it again, and then there was a curious line that CNN reserved the right to disclose the person's identity in the future should he do something like this again. It was a threat. It was a pretty explicit threat. In fact, Ted Cruz has been um, pounding on this as well that uh, there is, in fact, a, a law involved. That uh, the statute in New York, New York State Statute 135.6, a person is guilty of coercion in the second degree when he induces a person to abstain from engaging in conduct in which he has a legal right to engage by means of instilling a fear the actor will expose a secret or publicize an asserted fact, whether true or false, tending to subject some person to hatred, contempt, or ridicule. That's a big deal. There's also a, a, a federal statute. Ted Cruz, who would know these things, saying this is potentially a crime. The way the story was written by CNN, that they reserve the right to expose this guy's identity in the future if he does something they don't like. Now, here's the odd, crazy thing here. Our founders, more than 234 years ago, they fought in a war to reestablish their rights as English citizens, and they established a Bill of Rights. And what is the First Amendment? What are the, by the way, what are the first two priorities of the First Amendment? They are not the freedom of press or the freedom of speech. 
And this should tell you something about why Georgia should have a Religious Freedom Restoration Act, just like the federal government does, because the very first two rights in the First Amendment, they are the freedom of religion, freedom to exercise, and freedom from an established religion. And as Justice Gorsuch noted just a week ago in one of his opinions that the 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 right to exercise doesn't just mean a right to believe. It means a right to actually exercise your religion in the town square. Religion trumps free press and religion trumps free speech. But the press in this country treats the First Amendment as theirs alone. In fact, you will on a regular basis encounter reporters who tweet out that they have the they have the freedom of the press. You don't. They do by virtue of their occupation. And that's not true at all. You and I have a freedom of press. You and I have the First Amendment right to act as reporters, to act as the press, to broadcast what we wish to broadcast broadcast. We have that right. It's not exclusive to reporters, though they often very arrogantly assume that it does. And CNN, in this case, very arrogantly ran off, very much like the man I I read on 4th of July, actually. The man tried to get bees out of the wall of his house with fireworks and wound up burning down his garage. CNN is the man who tried to rid themselves of the bees and burn their house down by going after this guy and using that language. Let's just say hypothetically, had CNN run a story and said, uh, Joe Blow is his name. He's 35 years old, not 15, as some people are saying. He's a 30-something. Joe Blow, a 30-something, produced this tweet broadcast by the president of the United States. He also produced an image of CNN suggesting that the Jews controlled CNN. Well, there's your story. It is factual. It is an interesting story. Is it relevant? Yes, absolutely it is. Everyone is talking about the presidential tweet with the gif of CNN. But they didn't do that. They they broadcast to the world. We know who this person is, and if he does something we don't like in the future, we reserve the right to out him and subject him to harassment, ridicule, you name it. That's a real big problem that CNN did this, uh, bullying an individual. Listen, I, I, I couldn't care less about an anti-Semitic troll who wants you to believe the Jews run CNN. But I have a real big problem with reporters bullying people. And that's what this was. Had they just run the story, had they just noted the guy's identity. Everyone probably would have moved on. But they didn't. Therein lies the problem. Now, what about the president's tweet? You know, interestingly, because CNN did this, people have moved on from the president's tweet. You have to, whether you like the president or not, you have to give the president extraordinary credit in being able to manipulate the media and make them focus on the things he would prefer them to focus on. You know, there's a real big story today. There's a huge international story today that no one is talking about. The North Koreans have launched an intercontinental ballistic missile successfully, one that could reach the United States with a nuclear warhead. But did you hear about the tweet? That's the world we live in.
25 after the hour, Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750, WSB, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, them's the numbers. I got to tell you guys, I was a little bit disappointed on Monday. I took the kids with me to buy fireworks. Now, I grew up in Louisiana, and uh, when we would come home during the summer from Dubai, it was perfectly legal to buy fireworks in Louisiana. And we would always, we'd go buy fireworks. We'd buy bottle rockets. We would buy, you name it, the artillery shells. And it was illegal here in Georgia until our legislator legislature finally got some common sense two years ago and legalized fireworks. Not that, not that people weren't shooting them here. You'd go across to South Carolina or Alabama and buy them in bulk and come back. Uh, but those of us who, who didn't live near the South Carolina or, or Alabama borders had difficulty doing so. Well, now we can actually buy fireworks in Georgia. And I took my kids with me on Monday to buy fireworks, and I spent several hundred dollars on fireworks. And they were not nearly excited enough. In fact, I told Christy when we got home that I was really disappointed that the kids were not nearly as excited about buying the fireworks as I was. And then last night we went outside and I wound up shooting off all the fireworks room. I got this one thing, this artillery shell package is a hundred bucks. It's one box. And I mean, it was the grand finale. We saved it until about 10 o'clock last night. It was like going to a regular fireworks display. It was phenomenal. And the kids were so excited and they were so upset that I had not bought more. And I was like, you were with me. You were with me and you were lecturing me on the amount of money I was spending on fireworks. They, they really were. Because, you know, Christy wants a motorcycle. My wife wants a Harley. Bad. And I guess we're at the point where I'm going to have to figure out financially how I can afford to get her one. Because, I mean, she is set on getting one. And the kids were literally lecturing me on spending money on fireworks on Monday. And then by Tuesday night, they were wanting me to get in the car and go find an open fireworks dealer to buy more fireworks. It was glorious. I mean, we had the whole neighborhood lit up. The, the, it was just a, a solid piece of middle America. Everyone was in the street in the cul-de-sac together. We were popping fireworks and just having a good time visiting with each other. The kids were all playing. It was fantastic. And then we all had to come back to work today. We should just take a week off for the 4th of July. Nonetheless, the president has not taken the time off. The president is actually headed to Poland. Uh, He's got the G20 Economic Summit. When we come back, we do need to talk about the North Korea situation. The North Koreans have launched an intercontinental ballistic missile. It is an intercontinental ballistic missile that has range enough to at least reach Alaska and Hawaii which is a very big deal as they continue to work on their nuclear weapons. It is time to acknowledge that both George W. Bush and Barack Obama failed on the issue of North Korea. So now will the, uh, will the Trump administration finally get a clue? Will the Trump administration finally do something? And it looks like they will. General Mattis, I'm sorry, Secretary Mattis, Looks like he is ready to go to war with the North Koreans. And we've got China now upset with the North Koreans. We've got Japan upset with the North Koreans. Something has got to give. We'll also take your phone calls when we come back. 404-872-0750-1800. WSB-TALK.
It is 37 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. Yes, this is normally when Sean Hannity is on, but he's on vacation. So I'm here till 7. 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Them's the numbers. Um, This storm uh, that Chris was just talking about. So it's starting to fade now as it moves into Cherokee County. Um, it's, it's mostly just rain now, heavy in some spots. There is, however, north of it, uh, the Fairmont area, a, a small cell, um, that is strong. The, the one that's moving into Cherokee County really is almost nothing now but sprinkles as the as the radar is updated but north of it uh there is a very small but strong cell it's moving over towards jasper now and talking rock just on the verge of being outside the listening area um but lj jasper ranger you're gonna have some rain canton ball ground holly springs you're gonna have some really light rain uh, but it is nothing heavy right now. There is, however, you guys should know, heavy rain and serious storms in Alabama moving into the listening area. So uh, stay with us here throughout the evening. We'll keep monitoring. As the sun goes down, though, these storms will start to fade. Now, before I get into this North Korea stuff, can I just comment briefly on Colin Kaepernick, the failed football star who decided he was going to Ghana. Now, if you remember, Kaepernick's the guy who kicked off the idea of refusing to stand for the national anthem, deciding that there was not worth standing for the anthem because he doesn't like the United States. And now he has gone on what he calls a quest to find his personal independence, to find out where my ancestors came from. Talk about self-loathing. I mean, if the guy, he makes enough money off the people of the United States to be able to go to a third world country and live comfortably to find himself and on our independence day wants to know this is his quote how can we truly celebrate independence on a day that intentionally robbed our ancestors of theirs how can we celebrate independence day how can we celebrate the United States of America, a country that, like all other countries, has flaws, but is also quite a free country, a country with great liberty, a country that has fought tyranny. I mean, if you listen to Colin Kaepernick, you, you would think that we were the worst country on earth. Shameful history that we have. The, the self-loathing of these leftists who they make a lot of money off the American people and then hold the American people in absolute contempt. We, we see this all the time on the left. You know, there are a series of stories of late in Silicon Valley of major multimillionaire tycoons from Silicon Valley, inventors, software programmers, CEOs of companies out there who have been seriously sexually harassing women. One of the guys who's been who's actually admitted it apparently or was accused of it is is gay. 
and yet still harassing women, uh, treating them very abusively. This is one of the things that you find, incidentally, if you go to an atheist conference where Richard Dawkins and others hang out at some of these conferences, uh, the reports of, of abuse of women at these conferences, uh, dripping with contempt and loathing of women, is actually really common. Very, very common in these places. The social justice warrior set is abusive towards women. And of course, they don't report it. They protect their own because, you know, the real enemy is, is the Christian white guy in this country. But in fact, you know, it turns out that when you believe that a woman is, is completely equal to a man in every way, shape and form, and there is no difference in body or anything else, you'll treat a woman just as crudely and offensively as you might treat your guy friend, except you can do things with women that you can't do with your guy friend. And you think, hey, we're all equal and I can do this with you. So let, let's just do it. And it's appalling. But that is the logical outcome of this nonsensical social justice warrior behavior. Of course, the social justice warrior left is more abusive to women than anyone on the right could ever hope to be. Would ever want to be. Of course, it, it, all of this self-loathing and hypocrisy on the left. You, you don't find people on the right out there doing stuff like that. Rarely. Yes, occasionally it happens. There are a few bad actors out there, but by and large, it's a fairly common occurrence among the social justice warrior set. And the loathing and antipathy towards the United States and its culture and values is also out there on the social justice set. You would think that they would want to move, but they don't because deep down, they really know they have it good here. They know that here we have it so good. We have so few problems in society here that we have time to worry about their nonsense. It's ridiculous. One thing we should be worrying about is North Korea. The Clinton administration back in the 90s and then into the Bush administration and the Obama administration, they tried multilateral conversations with China and others to fix the North Korean situation. I had a, I have a friend of mine who for a very long time, she was on the um, State Department delegation team, negotiating team to deal with the North Koreans. And the Bush administration, the Obama administration, the Clinton administration, they all failed to deal with the North Korean situation. They all failed to get a clue and take out this rogue regime. The, the North Koreans are either going to be North Koreans and nuke someone or they're going to be destroyed. Listen, we're not dealing with rational actors here. Say what you will about the Iranians, but the Iranians are rational actors. The Iranians know there are things they can and cannot do. This is one reason the Iranians fund other terrorist groups, because they have things they want to see done in the world that they know they themselves can't do and can't have their fingerprints on because they are rational actors. You may disagree with what they want. You may disagree with their motives, but they're rational in how they go about doing it. The North Koreans aren't rational, folks. Kim Jong-un, whatever his name is, he is not a rational player. He is a nut. He is certifiable. He is commodus. Um, it's it just, we're going to have to deal with the situation. The North Koreans having nuclear weapons would not be a good thing. And I think the Chinese know it as well. And I'm not sure it's wise for the president to be antagonizing the Chinese on Twitter. 
what she's doing. You know, that reminds me, there's a study out right now. I shouldn't say a study. There's a news report out, a pretty big news report that a group of scientists are now pondering a message to blast to the stars to aliens. They hope to find aliens. They hope to uh, be able to reach out to aliens. Can I just say that I'm not sure we want to talk to the aliens as long as we have a president that could tweet them? I just say maybe it's just me. But I just I, I just think as long as we have a president on Twitter who sometimes says things that he probably shouldn't say on Twitter. And then this is the latest, by the way, the Trump administration says that the president's tweets are presidential because he's president. And by virtue of him being president, they are presidential. If you believe that I've got a bridge to sell you. I just, I'm, I'm not sure. Listen, I am very glad the president finally tweeted about Charlie guard, but you know, the media has said, They've got to obsess over his tweets. They've got to focus on his tweets, the, the, all of that. So the president tweets about Charlie Gard. Charlie Gard is the baby in Ormond Street Hospital in London who they've sentenced to death. His parents have the money to bring him to the United States to give him an experimental treatment that will more likely than not save his life. But the British bureaucrats and judges have determined that even if they save his life, he will be brain damaged. And as a result, because he is brain damaged, he has no value to society and therefore must die. The president last week was tweeting the absurdities about Mika Brzezinski and completely ignored it. Finally, 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 he tweeted about Charlie Gard. Now, you've had a media for a week, an entire American press corps saying that all of the president's tweets are news because Sean Spicer says that the president's tweets are official pronouncements of the White House. And then he tweets about Charlie Gard, and there's not a single story about it. In other words, yet again, the media is lying. Yet again, the media is saying things that aren't true. The media only focuses on the president's tweets when they think they can make the president look bad. But when the president does something that is worthwhile and commendable, they completely ignore him. I mean, say what you will about the president, but it's, it's, he's done a masterful job of exposing the press as just left-wing operatives, members of the resistance, and they are. They are openly engaged in partisan feuding with the president. They are as obsessed with him as he is them or as they accuse him of being obsessed with them. They really are. I mean, the president says anything that they can twist. You know, for example, the president the other day says maybe the media will finally be forced to pay attention to the good economic news. And you had multiple reporters from credible outlets saying, did you see he used the word forced? Whatever could that mean? Is he is he going to use the military to force us to cover some? You know darn well what the man meant. It was absolutely innocuous that the media is going to have no choice but to report this because it's so abundantly obvious and they're going to expose themselves as left-wing hacks if they don't. And yet the media itself chose to go with the very worst possible interpretation of the president's tweets. Listen, I, I mean, I've made no secret of the fact that I wish he would tweet less. 
And I wish when he did tweet, he would focus on substantively good things like the Charlie Guard situation. But it's abundantly obvious he's not going to get credit from the media for tweeting about the Charlie Guard stuff because he did, and they completely ignored it. They decided to wring their hands over the stupid tweet about CNN and then the wrestling gif. And it wasn't an incitement to violence. It was not inciting violence against reporters. In fact, I had a guy today tell me on Twitter that, that uh, the, the president incited violence. The violence against the world. There has been no violent act against any reporter because of that tweet. That tweet wasn't a violent tweet. It was just a dumb tweet. That's all it was. But what we're seeing from the media is that they are far more obsessed about themselves and far more obsessed about how they view themselves and how others view them than they are any real news of the world. The headlines today should be all about North Korea, and instead they're all about the stupid CNN tweet. Fifty-five after the hour, Eric Erickson here. WSB people are so sensitive. So I looked at Twitter. So I, I've I've just spent what twenty minutes noting that uh, when the president tweets something legit, the press completely ignores it because they want to go after the the dumb things the president tweets, and he needs to get credit for what for changing the way we do things in North Korea. He should get credit for the Charlie Guard stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and somebody is is beating me up on Twitter for being too hard on the president. This is someone who clearly thinks the president's poop smells glorious, like rainbow farts. Good grief. The, the level of, of, you know, people on the right used to ridicule the left for its obsessive uh, worship of Barack Obama. And the left still worships Barack Obama. There, there's something very, very wrong when an ideological movement wraps itself around an individual, no idea should be wrapped around an individual. Ideas should stand and fall on their own merit. I am a conservative, not because of Ronald Reagan or even Calvin Coolidge or anyone else. I'm a conservative because I believe conservative ideas work. But a lot of people on the right have have wrapped it around the president in the same way the left wrapped liberalism, progressivism around Barack Obama. And, you know, individuals are we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're, we're all going to disappoint at some point. And when that happens, you bring discredit on what are otherwise good ideas. For example, the wall. A little birdie tells me that while everyone in the media is distracted by the president's tweets, the White House has been lining up the resources to finally build the wall. And the wall is a good idea. The wall should have been built by George W. Bush, who proposed it and got congressional approval for it and then never bothered to actually fund it. And that's part of the problem we're dealing with here is that congressional Democrats, they don't want to tell their uh, voters that they oppose the wall. They voted for it too. Chuck Schumer voted for the wall along the border with Mexico, and then he refused to fund it. And they go out nationally and they tell liberal fundraisers that they're opposed to the wall. But then they go home to their districts, to their Democratic supporters who actually support the wall as well because it's common sense. And, oh, they support the wall. They just, the, the president, they just, they don't want this president to build the wall. It's either a good idea or it's not. Whoever the president is shouldn't have anything to do with building a wall on the border.
engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's 4.09. I'm Eric Erickson. This, well, it's Sean Hannity's show, but he's not here today. So I am until 7 o'clock this evening. Got some Bobby somebody moron on Twitter complaining. You don't have to listen, you know. You can go elsewhere instead of complaining to me that you don't like me. (laughs) I never understood that. Who cares? Do you really think I care? (laughs) you liking me or not does not impact whether or not I have this microphone and I do and you don't. (laughs) Here's a news story that, you know, okay, let me, let me premise this news story by saying that yes, it is a news story. It is ABC news, but you're not really going to hear about this story. It's not going to get major press attention because it, puts positive light on the president. And and the left will say, well, the only reason you know about it is because it was in the news. Well, of course. But, you know, I may read to the last page of the newspaper, but what's amazing is that they will put the story that makes the president look terrible on the front page, the second page, and the third page, plus an editorial. And the story that puts him in a positive light, they'll bury it on the last page behind the classified ads. Nonetheless, this is a big story, I think. President Trump has donated his first quarter salary. For those of you who are emeroids, that would be the first three months of this year. President Trump has donated his first quarter salary to restoration of the Antietam National Battlefield, according to the Interior Department. While visiting Antietam National Battlefield in western Maryland, U.S. Secretary of the Interior, Interior Ryan Zink, Today announced that President Trump's first quarter salary donation would be donated towards the restoration of two projects at the fabled Antietam National Battlefield. Secretary Zink also announced $7.2 million in additional grants to help identify, preserve, and protect America's historic battlefields. The secretary was joined by representatives from Antietam, the Civil War Trust, the National Park Foundation, and Save Historic Antietam Foundation. And you and I know they probably all hate the president crazy an anonymous donor has pledged twenty two thousand dollars and that brings the president's gift to two hundred sixty three thousand five hundred forty five dollars not a bad deal and of course they're going to go back to the president's tweets can i just say by the way did you hear chris chandler's story morning joe had its largest audience ever on friday after the twitter fight between the president and and the hosts. Full disclosure here, uh, Joe Scarborough and I have been friends for a very long time. At least a decade, Joe and I have been friends. Uh, uh, Joe is a very, very good person, a very dear friend of mine. Um, I just, I, I think the world of Joe Scarborough, I really do. And he is getting huge ratings because of the Twitter fight with the president. He is. And I I only use him as the example because that was the news headline at the top of the hour. But the media 
is focused on the president as much as the president is focused on the media because it's good for their ratings. That's why. That is why the story about North Korea is buried under stories about the tweets from the president and and who the anonymous troll was who put out the CNN GIF because it's all about ratings. It is ultimately a ratings business. You saw the James O'Keefe undercover uh, expose of CNN where the the producer says that that J-School ethics go out the window when it comes to the real world and ratings. Uh, TV is a ratings business. Radio is a ratings business. If you are good, you have very high ratings. I have very high ratings because I know what my job is on radio. It is to keep you guys company in your car, even you fools who for some reason can't stand me, but yet you can't dare turn away from listening to me. It is my number one job. It is the job of people on TV to provide a product that gets you to watch it and on radio to listen to it. And one of the ways that you get people to watch or listen to TV and radio is drama, soap opera level drama. Soap operas do what they do because it works. Soap operas, the little twists and turns, you know, by the way, as an aside, when I was a kid growing up, my grandmother used to watch Young and the Restless, which is still on TV. And it's been on TV for, I mean, since before I was born. Because of the drama, the twists and the turns, the incest, the relationships, the, the business drama, the poor Victor Newman, if he's still alive, I don't know. I don't watch the show. The poor old Victor Newman used to wind up on the prayer list at our church when I was growing up. My grandmother used to put him on the prayer list because his kids were out to get his business. I mean, she was absorbed in the twists and turns of General Hospital and Young and the Restless. And reality TV has become the new soap, soap opera. And the feud between the president and the media is a soap opera. It is, I mean, that that's it. And so it helps the media's ratings to pick a fight with the president. It helps the president to pick a fight with the media. And you know, it actually helps the president more than it helps the media. Do you know why it helps the president more than it helps the media? Because he's more popular. I know if you listen to the media, the press, the American press would have you believe that based on the president's polling, pond scum is more popular than the president of the United States. No, they're confused. Pond scum is more popular than the American press corps. The president is more popular than both of them. At least 40% of the American people are happy with the job the president is doing. That's vastly higher than the number of people who are happy with the job the media is doing. And every time the president picks a fight with the media, the media is forced to go off the reservation and pick a fight with the president and and do a tit for tat with the president. And it drags them all down. But because the president is more liked than the press, it drags him down far less than it does the media who are just increasingly distrusted by both sides in America. Listen, the press is in a no-win situation here. People on the right already hate the media. And people on the left see the media in this tit-for-tat fight with the president, and they're wondering, why aren't you focusing on this? Why aren't you focusing on Russia? I mean, they're absolutely convinced that the president has stolen the election with Russia. It is an absolute no-win situation for the media, and the media can't help themselves. As Ann Richards, the former governor of Texas, would say, hit themselves. They can't. 
It's a symbiotic, sick relationship between the two. It is a, a master-slave S&M relationship between the two. It's, it's crazy, but that's what it is. And they can't let it go. It is so easy for the president to bait the media these days. He tweets one gif about CNN on a Sunday, and that is a story for four days. Four days. That is a story. Why? It's not that big of a story. But yet the media wants to play the victim. You see, every story, and I learned this. I was at CNN for three years, and I learned this. That every major news story, you watch it. Fox News is the only exception to this. Every news outlet in this country, with the exception of Fox News, when they do a story, nine out of ten times that story is about a victim, a clearly defined victim, and a clearly defined victimizer. That's the way news stories are presented in this country these days. There's someone who's been hurt and the person who hurt them. And every story is about exacting justice, vengeance, revenge, righteousness, something like that. And the press is so used to these victim victimizer stories. When it comes to them and the president, they are the victim. But really, they benefit. They benefit from keeping the story alive. They benefit from the president attacking them. It gives them credibility on the left when the president attacks them. It gives them ratings. It gives them eyeballs. People are tuning in to see what they're going to say to respond to the president. And the president doesn't care. He's got millions of followers on Twitter. He doesn't care. He's got loyal supporters. I mean, remember, the president is a man who, in his own words, believes he could go out on Fifth Avenue in New York City and murder someone and people would still support him. And he's right. There are enough people out there who would say that person deserved it to defend the president. Both sides win in this fight. But you know who loses? You lose. You lose because there are big stories in the world and they're not getting covered. The North Korea situation is not getting covered. The Russia situation, the real Russia situation, the Russia spreading its its web back through Eastern Europe, it's not getting discussed. The economic situation of this country is not getting discussed. The, 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 the situation with Amazon.com and what it's doing to smaller retailers around the country, it's not getting discussed. The situation in Venezuela, it's not getting discussed. None of these things are getting, getting discussed. And part of my job these days has to be to determine what really should be discussed and get you to care about it, to think about it to educate you on it, to inform you on it. But then there are days like today where the biggest story really is the media reaction to a president's tweet. As absurd as it it is, that really is the biggest story of the day today, which is crazy. Welcome to the age of Donald Trump. It's 426. I have several hours to go. My goodness. No, I'm not going to admit that I watch Young and the Restless. Uh, (laughs) My buddy Ryan saying that I should just admit it. I don't. But man, I remember when my grandmother did that in General Hospital. She was a nurse. And during the summer, we'd be home from Dubai. And she and her friend, Miss Sybil, Sybil Woodside, they would sit together in opposite houses across town from each other. 
with on the phone talking to each other, the play-by-play on all of their soaps. It was the craziest thing. I, I learned at an early age the power of soaps. And I, I'm supposed to say hello to Keegan Anderson, who's going to take me kayaking. Um, he listens to the show. <laughs> There's a joke there that only he will get. Um, okay, we got to move on. There's plenty of other stuff. Uh, in addition to the North Korean situation, there is more news of the day, including the Amazon situation. The And what I mean by the Amazon situation is Amazon is now going to be selling Nike products. Nike, for the longest time, would not sell products on Amazon. The result of which is that if you bought a Nike product on Amazon, it either was a fake or it was a third party Nike retailer, a a mom and pop shop that sold Nike products and connected into Amazon and could sell them internationally through Amazon. Well, now that Nike is going to be selling on Amazon, the result of this is that mom and pop shops are not going to be able to sell them. Or if they do, they're not going to be able to compete with an official Nike store. The Europeans are looking into Amazon and similarly situated companies, including Google. And one of the things that the Europeans are doing, and I'm not necessarily a big fan of European economics, but I think we're at the point of this, is they're they're looking at the anti-competitive practices of Internet companies. In the United States, the default presumption of the Department of Justice when it comes to tackling monopolies is If the price comes down for a consumer, they're not worried about it. In Europe, the question is, are they stifling competition? Now, you may think that normally if if the price is going down, it means there's competition. But in the dot-com era, that's not necessarily the case. And Amazon is the prime example of this. Look at at book sales. The United States Department of Justice under Barack Obama uh, took Apple to court over Apple's iBooks program. Uh, one of the things Apple was doing is it was working with retailers or working with book publishers rather to sell uh, eBooks online through the Apple Books program. And Apple was noting to them that they could potentially make more money than Amazon. So who, who did the Department of Justice come after Apple? Never mind that Amazon controlled more than 85% of the ebook market at the time. They went after Apple just starting out because Apple could potentially make the publishers more money. Amazon is making is providing book publishers such little money that some of them are struggling to survive. And we're now seeing that with other businesses in the dot-com era, that as Amazon is growing and making more and more people have to use it for e-commerce, they're shutting small companies out. They're driving prices down, which is good for you and me, but long-term, it's bad for all of us. It is Eric Erickson in for Sean Hannity, 438 here in Atlanta. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800, WSB-TALK. Let's go to the phones now. Uh, Malcolm in Sugar Hill, you're up first today. Welcome. Well, hey, it's nice to talk to you. Listen, I have a theory about why the uh, Chinese and the Russians don't want to use any force on the uh, North Koreans. The last thing they want is $25 million and semi-educated uh, North Koreans pouring across their borders. 
Yes, starving North Koreans of that. Yes, I was about to say the Democratic People's Republic of Korea is one of the few places on Earth where each generation gets smaller. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, although, if we could convince them in a little get-together that, you know, the best thing all three of us can do is to uh, basically just take out the Kim family. Yeah, you know, it seems like it would be in China's interest, if not China and Russia's interest, to pick an existing North Korean and change dynasties in North Korea with someone who's a little more sane. Yeah, uh, but like I said, the uh, the great fear is that after that happens, although the Chinese, I think, have 250,000 soldiers on this border, they put a, put a few more divisions or troops on that one, uh, just to make sure that, you know, guys, you're stuck there, because uh, I can see all those semi-starving people pouring across the border. The Chinese don't want them. Uh, the Russians don't want them. And the last thing the Russians and the Chinese particularly want is to see either the South Koreans just take over that country to their border, or even worse, the Japanese get nuclear weapons. So one thing that Chiang Kai-shek and Mao Zedong would have agreed with was that the Japanese can fight like hell when they want to. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And the fact, you know, you, you've now got a change in U.S. policy uh, that began under the Bush administration where we're okay with Japan now developing nuclear weapons. Oh, yes. they. Uh, there's still some, some good old guys in China that remember fighting the Japanese. And, you know, those folks ain't exactly peaceful. When they, right. Once they get a rifle in their hand, they ain't peaceful at all. Yes. Uh, dare yeah. I make a, a controversial but factually true statement? Uh, the Japanese beat the Chinese. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, listen, Malcolm, thank you very much for your phone call there. It's a great point that China is going to have to do something because... Uh, the regime change is coming one way or the other in North Korea. And uh, the interesting thing about the Trump administration is that though the rest of the world leaders, they, they don't view Donald Trump as predictable. And as a result, they are on edge. And that's not a bad thing. The world favors predictability, but having a president who can be temperamental and unpredictable uh, forces them to do things and clean up messes. Uh, that they otherwise think they could put off. And they can't put off North Korea anymore. By the way, did you hear on the 4th of July, I guess it was, National Public Radio, NPR, tweeted the Declaration of Independence. Line by line, they tweeted the Declaration of Independence. And two of the tweets were, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. And another tweet was, and totally unworthy, the head of a civilized nation. And supporters of the president who weren't clued in as to what NPR was doing lost it on Twitter and thought NPR was fomenting revolution against President Trump. They were quoting in order, word for word, the Declaration of Independence. Let me get back to this point on Amazon. There's some questions raised by people on social media over what I meant. The, The lay of the land right now on Amazon, you can get almost anything cheaper at Amazon than anywhere else. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, in many cases, you can get it the next day for a small fee and within two days for no fee. 
My wife and I, for example, a, a significant number of our household products now come from Amazon. We have a subscribe and save package with Amazon. We get our toilet paper from there. We get paper towels from there. We get our dishwasher detergent from there. Our laundry detergent comes from there. The, the softener comes from there. Uh, in fact, we get so much stuff from Amazon on a weekly basis that the UPS guy shows up at our house on days we are not getting anything because he's so used to just stopping at our house with an Amazon package. I mean, we, we do a lot of shopping at Amazon and we save money. We are prime members, but the downside of that to a degree is that Amazon is selling things so cheaply now that they're actually eliminating competition because Amazon's not worried about making a profit and wall street has been rewarding Amazon for not making. Can you imagine wall street's reaction? If Apple were to not make a profit, I mean, if people would, would sell off the stock, but when Amazon decides not to make a profit, everybody cheers and, and it's confounding for a lot of people, but it's true. And Amazon is willing to undercut everyone else and in the process gain market share. And that is what Amazon is looking for. Amazon's not looking for profit. It's looking for market share. But the problem with this is that it is not self-policing and regulating fraudulent products. For example, Birkenstocks uh, sandals has stopped selling on Amazon because many of the products that are being sold on Amazon are fraudulent Birkenstocks. And Birkenstock is getting blamed for an inferior product that they're not actually making. It's a Chinese counterfeit and Amazon's not regulating it. But in the process, Amazon's driving a market share. And more and more small businesses are finding that to compete, they've got to sell through Amazon and give Amazon a cut of the sale. And from the American monopolistic uh, jurisprudence, it's a good thing for consumers. And as long as consumers are saving money and prices are low, the federal regulators stay out of it. In Europe, they've taken a different track with uh, online companies. And that is and online companies may be giving consumers lower prices. But if they're shutting down competition, that's a bad thing because the European regulators have decided that at some point Amazon could then uh, say, we're not going to sell your product anymore and drive a company out of business. Once it has all the market share and everyone's got to go through Amazon to buy this product, Amazon then has the power to say your product can or cannot be bought. And that becomes a problem. And one of the things we're seeing in this day and age is a, a, a real coming to grips on the right, especially the left's been complaining about it for a long time and just has terrible ways of trying to come up with a solution. But people on the right are finally realizing income inequality is becoming a problem in this country. When the top 1% in this country can make more money or is worth more than the entire lower 50% of this country combined, that actually does become a problem because you create now an aristocracy, not a meritocracy. And what we're seeing is that the super wealthy in this country are able to steer laws to stack the deck to their advantage to minimize disruption. There may be someone in the lower 50 percent of this country who has a brilliant idea that can disrupt the economy and provide an ingenious solution to a problem. But the top one percent stacks the deck against them through business regulatory uh, agencies, through regulation, through taxation, through the tax code, through government, through law, through legal harassment. And 
I would submit to you that the way conservatives need to approach inequality in this country is to tear down those barriers to entry for good ideas, lower the cost of entry to increase competition. And unfortunately, what we're seeing in the Amazon arena is that Amazon stifles competition. And we all think it's a good thing because we can get our toilet paper for half the price. We can get it across the street to the grocery store. And it is, and it benefits us. But who does it hurt? Well, it hurts the mom and pop shop and it eliminates them. It hurts the employees of the small businesses. It hurts the employees of the businesses like, for example, Nike now is selling and is going to start selling its shoes at Amazon. And for a very long time, it's been third party Nike resellers who have been selling Nike shoes on Amazon. Well, now Amazon has cut a sweetheart deal with Nike. Those stores are all going to be shut out of sales now, and they're going to be laying people off as a result. Yes, you and I, we, we get a really good deal through Amazon. I love Amazon. I, I, I tell you this all the time, and I'm really not joking. I, I hate to mix and mingle with other people. I do, particularly nowadays, because everyone wants to talk shop. I spend, well, today, four hours on the radio talking about politics and the news of the day. When I'm off radio, I want to be done. I want to be talking about uh, photography. I want to be talking about cooking. I want to be talking about family, church, you name it. Don't want to be talking about the news of the day. And if I encounter someone at the store, they want to do that. In addition, the store is a germy place. I mean, my kid hasn't been out of the house in two weeks, went to the grocery store the other day with his mom, caught the stomach bug just by pushing the shopping cart around. I would rather shop at Amazon for everything. I don't like people. I don't want to leave the house. It's perfect for me, but it is not perfect for your average blue collar worker. It is not perfect for your average retail worker. It is not perfect for a whole lot of people who are being driven out of business because Amazon is focused on gaining market share and essentially making everyone else go through Amazon to buy their products online. And you know the downside of that long term, and I think the European regulators are right on this, is once Amazon has the market share, and it's there in some cases then Amazon can say what goes and what doesn't. Pretty soon, we have traded cheap prices for selection and choice, and Amazon can limit that choice. European regulators are now looking at choice limitation as a monopolistic interest worth regulating, and American monopoly regulators are not yet, and I think it's, we're probably on the verge of them needing to reconsider this because low prices are good. But, you know, the Soviet Union had low prices as well and just one type of bread. And that's where we potentially are headed with Amazon. Fifty-five after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Back to the phones we go. Bob in Powder Springs, welcome. Hello, Mr. Erickson. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I have a little comment on your Amazon thing. Mm-hmm. I'm in the air conditioning business, and I've got customers now and, and folks who are calling my office wanting us to install air conditioning parts that they're buying through Amazon. <laughs> a lot of these parts are what you would call disposable parts, run capacitors and contactors, things that fail, kind of like the brake shoes on your car. Mm-hmm. They last six, seven years, sometimes, uh, sometimes longer, but we get these phone calls and... You know, I have a customer saying, hey, how much will you put on this capacitor for 
and you tell them the price, of course, I'm, I'm paying our guys expertise to put the part on, and we're warranting the part for a year and those sort of things. So we charge a significant amount of money more than, than what you could buy the part on Amazon. But this is hurting us. Um, and even the bigger companies, you know, that advertise on WSB, having to explain how come a part costs so so little at Amazon, and yet we charge a significant amount to put that part on Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Bob. It is a problem. And then listen, don't get me wrong, folks. I love Amazon. I mean, I, I I am a regular shopper at Amazon. I absolutely love it. And I love the cheap prices. But yeah, I mean, for just becoming aware of now that what it's doing to a number of businesses in the country, small businesses in particular around the country, is somewhat scary. Fred and Marietta, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Good. How are you? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. So I appreciate your comment that Amazon could end up, say, blacklisting, for want of a better term, a company that sells uh, an item that they no longer want to carry. But does that assume that that company would go out of business? Because look how many companies there are out there now that sell products that are not carried on Amazon. They're carried on their own website, so it becomes the purchaser's choice to go to Amazon to buy a product or to go to XYZ company to buy their product. Yeah, that, that's a totally fair point, Fred. Uh, it is. And my concern is the company that, uh, well, let's just take, for example, uh, the shoe companies, the 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 national retail shoe companies uh, that have been selling products on Amazon, like Nike products on Amazon. And suddenly now Amazon has cut a sweetheart deal with Nike that's going to undercut all of those businesses that have been built up dependent on Amazon to sell their products. Uh, many of them are now going to be hurt. Now, listen, I uh, competition. I'm not opposed to it. Well, we were thinking that we would have a little bit of time off this evening on the radar. Welcome to the program. It's Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Let's talk about the Republican health care plan because... I'm wondering if the Republicans are making uh, the perfect the enemy of the good. And I say that intentionally. For the last decade, Republican leaders in Congress have told conservatives that they're making the perfect the enemy of the good. That if you don't want to go along with a slight change... Well, you're never going to get the full change, so go along with the slight change. Don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. At least you'll be advancing the ball. At least you'll be moving down the field. At least you'll be fixing things. I wonder if the establishment Republicans are doing that now. Because the president has said, Ben Sass has said, Ted Cruz has said, and they're right, that if they're stuck on the terms of a plan to replace Obamacare, why not go on and repeal it? Which you could repeal the full thing under reconciliation. 
since you passed the full thing under reconciliation. Why don't you repeal it and then come up with a new plan? If you can't figure out the final wording right now, if you can't figure out the compromise right now, if, if you can't figure it out, just go on and repeal it. And once you've repealed it, then come up with a new solution. Once you've repealed the plan, you're going to force the Democrats to the table. What are the Democrats going to do? Say, oh, no, we're not helping the Republicans. They're going to want a seat at the table to structure the health care plan, and it's not going to be something that you and I would like. It's not going to be perfectly free market, but it'll certainly be better than what we have. Why are the Republicans making the perfect the enemy of the good? Now, Ted Cruz has a plan, and Ted Cruz's plan, I, I've explained it fairly straightforwardly on here before, uh, Ted Cruz's plan, endorsed now by the White House, is this. As long as an insurance company offers one Obamacare-compliant plan in a state, it can then offer an unlimited number of other plans that are not Obamacare-compliant, and someone is allowed to pick one of those plans instead of the Obamacare plan if they, in their mind, think it would do them good. That seems to me to be the perfect idea. Because, you know, the situation right now with the Obamacare plans is that many of them uh, price people out of the market. You, you can't get a very good plan. You can't get an Obamacare compliant plan that many doctors will accept. But you can get a plan that is not Obamacare compliant that doctors will accept. So why don't you allow people to buy the plan that doctors will accept instead of buying the Obamacare plan that keeps them in compliance with the law but isn't accepted in any doctor's office? That's Ted Cruz's idea. Senate Republicans don't like it, and they don't like it only because Ted Cruz is the one who proposed it. Think about that for a minute. How petty are these people? Well, now, this Senate health care plan, think about this again. Let, let me reiterate this for you because this, this is, I'm not making this up. Senate Republicans are opposed to Ted Cruz's compromise plan on health care because Ted Cruz proposed it. They have no other reason to oppose it other than Ted Cruz is the one who came up with the idea. And by the way, it's not a Ted Cruz idea. Mike Lee has floated this before. Rand Paul floated this before. Ted's just the one who put it on paper. But they don't want to give him credit for it. The White House, the president of the United States, who was a competitor of Ted Cruz's, who Ted Cruz did not endorse at the Republican National Convention, the White House has set aside their differences with Ted Cruz and they have embraced his plan. But the Republican leaders in the Senate will not embrace his plan. Think about that for a minute. We are dealing with petty egos. And if they're not willing to embrace his plan, which is a common sense plan, why not just repeal Obamacare altogether? Why make the perfect the enemy of the good? Just repeal Obamacare and then say it's going to expire and go away January 1st, 2018. And that gives you August, September, October, November, and December to come up with a new plan to structure it. I mean, at the worst case scenario, it gives you August and September. And then insurance companies and whatnot can put October, November, December into place, getting everything lined up for it. But why not go on and repeal it? 
Why must they make the perfect the enemy of the good? They always accuse conservatives of doing that. And this is a situation where Republicans in the Senate are doing it. And you know why they're doing it? Because of lobbyists. There are so many lobbyists involved right now trying to get sweetheart deals for their clients that they're screwing up the healthcare process. There's no need to do that. The Republicans promise repeal. And think of it this way. If the Republicans flat out fundamentally repeal Obamacare, they will have kept their promise. They will have energized their base. And then in August, let's say they redo it and they essentially put it all back in place. Think about that for a moment. Just just bear with me here. Follow this out. They repeal it all together. They've kept their promise. And then they put it all back in place. Well, what are the Democrats going to do? They're going to laugh and point at him and say, you just put Obamacare back in place. You just put Barack Obama's initiative back in place. Well, then suddenly the Democrats have nothing to run on for 2018. By the way, there is data out there today that suggests uh, that the idea of this major Democrat renaissance and resurgence in the nation uh, and a massive takeover of Congress may not be so. I'll tell you what the data shows when we come back. It's 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk on the north side of the perimeter. Uh, intensifying storm of the Sandy Springs area. Starting to get a lot of lightning out of it. The Smyrna Vinings area as well. A storm uh, head up uh, five, uh, 985. You've got really heavy rain up towards Gainesville. There is a severe thunderstorm morning in place in Hall, Lumpkin, Union, and White County expiring at uh, 5.45. Otherwise, uh, you got fairly clear radar out there than those pockets of storms. Johnny in Woodstock, you're next. Welcome. Hey, okay, thank you. Sure. What I was saying was if they would put all the politicians, the senators and all, gave them the same insurance we have, then your Republicans and your Democrats would all get together and we'd have good insurance. Yep. But the but they've got so much better insurance and don't pay nothing. Yeah, you know, one of the things I think that the president should do is revoke the Obama-era exemption to Congress on Obamacare because people forget that Barack Obama deemed Congress a small business and allowed Congress an Obamacare waiver. Yes. That's, yeah, I mean, people need to just sit and listen, and if they would listen to what's going on instead of throwing out before they think they would really see what's going on. Oh, yeah. It, it is a complete scam up there. Johnny, thanks very much for the phone call. 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Them's the numbers. Y'all, yeah, I have heard about local politics running among. This is not a Georgia story. Let me just bracket it by saying this. But you and I both know that something like this could happen in Georgia at any moment. Uh, there is a city in Virginia outside of D.C. called Woodbridge. I've actually got three friends of mine live in Woodbridge, Virginia. They all work on Capitol Hill and commuting. It's a 45-minute to an hour commute uh, from there to D.C. during the mornings. Uh, a man named Roger Sherman, he decided to mow the grass near the town pool. The town pool was getting ready to open for the season, and they hadn't cut the grass. It was getting very bushy and a lot of trash being thrown out. So Roger Sherman 
went and mowed the grass at the Country Club of Woodbridge. It is uh, owned by the town, and he cleaned up the lot. It was a vacant lot owned by the city. And the city of Woodbridge, Virginia, sent him a cease and desist order. I cannot believe it. They actually claim that it was a liability for the town. Now, mind you, there have been other people who have volunteered. But they sent him a letter and said the property is available for hiking and biking, but not for lawn mowing. And they claimed it's a liability. And here's a guy who went out to do something for his town since they couldn't do it, since they didn't do it. The pool was about ready to open. The lot was overgrown. And so he cleaned it up for him and they threatened to sue him if he ever did it again. That's just insane. And you and I both know that in Georgia, it could happen here. The city of Atlanta would do something like this. I guarantee you they would do something like this. Good grief. Five thirty-nine on the nose. Eric Erickson here at Lenders Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Let's go to the phones here, David in Midtown. It's you. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Yeah, we had a situation similar to that, like in Virginia. Well, dealing with the city, we were renovating a house down in Atlanta, and you know those octagon sidewalks in the front. Mm-hmm. They're really cool looking. Um, the one we had was really torn up, and we had a contractor gave us a price, blah, blah. So I asked the city of Atlanta if we could replace them, and they said, absolutely not. That's the city of Atlanta's job. And I said, what happens if we replace it? He said, well, you could get a fine. I think it starts at about $1,000. And I said, okay, well, then when, because we want to get this house on the market, and it was really terrible looking sidewalk. I said, when can it be done? And he said, it's probably a year and a half to two years out. <laughs> of course said, they I'm did. Taking care of a, I'm taking care of something for them, putting in a sidewalk to make the street safe, and yet they couldn't, they wouldn't let me do it. And it literally was almost a year, a year and a half, two years out before they could get to it. Good grief. And you know, if it were to snow and you didn't shovel that sidewalk, uh, they Absolutely. would find you. Or if a kid <laughs> drove by and wrecked on a bike because it was all over the place. It would be my fault. And we were trying to get it on the market to sell, and that actually kept a couple people from buying it because it was in terrible shape. But they would not let us touch it for the life of them. Good grief. Yeah, cities can be their own worst enemies, the bureaucracy. It's like Park Atlanta. Just, just, oh, oh, my God. Yeah. I not even go there with that. <laughs> that's, Monsters. That's an waiting. Yes. So... <laughs> well, listen, thanks very much for calling. Yes, I, I it just say really are just just terrible bureaucrats. Tony in, in uh, is it Rexington or Remington? Lexington. Lexington. I, it says Rexington here. OK, welcome, Tony. I, I, I used to uh, thank you. I used to work for a man in Evans, which is a, kind of a suburb of Augusta. Yeah. And he had two sweet gum trees in his yard. That they dropped those little prickly balls that his little grand boy would hurt his feet on. So uh-huh. he wanted to cut down the sweet gum trees. And the city of Evans told him he could not cut down these trees in his yard. Good grief. They said, but they said he could prune them. 
<laughs> of course. Of course. They look like two telephone poles sticking up in the yard. Good if for him. If they'd warned them pruned a special way, they should have come pruned them themselves. I agree. Tony, thanks very much. Let's go back to the phones. Ken and Jasper, you're next. Yes, sir. How are you doing, sir? Good. How are you? I'm not bad for an old fat guy. I'm just hanging in there. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to ask you a question. Back when uh, Mr. Obama went back and uh, passed all those health care stuff, don't you think he pretty much bribed a lot of senators and congressmen with the uh, things that he was going to do for their states and what have you to get their votes because he was really pushing that 60-plus Well, you know, I, I do have to say it wasn't Obama who did that. It was Harry Reid who did that. Uh, if we went back in the historic record, what we would find is that Obama was actually, uh, he thought that they should just support it on its own merits. And it was Harry Reid who carved out exceptions. For example, there was the... Um, Oh, what did they call it? The, the, the kickback for Connecticut. There was the um, uh, Michigan uh, bailout. There were all these other things uh, that Harry Reid put in as line items in the bill to buy votes from senators. And it was essentially legal bribery. And to his credit, and, and you can't give Obama any credit for anything, really, but I, I do have to acknowledge that he and his staff were critical of Harry Reid, claiming that he was going to blow out the CBO caps if he did this. They believe the Democrats should su- support it on its own merits, and many of them knew that Harry Reid would give them sweetheart deals if they just held firm and waited, and sure enough, they did, and he gave them the sweetheart deals to pass the legislation, and it worked. Uh, that's one thing, you know, I, I, I've said on this radio program, if Mitch McConnell ran the Senate like Harry Reid, who is a far more effective Senate leader, uh, McConnell would be giving some sweetheart deals to various Republican senators to essentially bribe them into Obamacare repeal. But he's not willing to do it, which really suggests he's really not all that interested in repealing Obamacare, contrary to what he says. It's 5.54, and folks, my day has been made. Now, believe it or not, there is a phenomenon out there that I experience, and it is called hate listening. There are people who listen to this program because they hate my guts, and I I don't understand. It is usually old cat lady types, crazy cat lady types who do this. And they call and complain. They, I mean, it is the craziest thing. I mean, God bless them. They spend their time hating so much they're obsessed with listening. One of them actually has, because I, I, I filled in here on WSB for Hannity earlier today, and woman on Facebook prepares a graphic that is filled with pink cats as the background. Pink cats. Yes. And Sean Hannity, why in the world did you hire Erickson to fill in for you today? He's a huge never Trumper. (laughs) Oh, my Lord, these people. Crazy cat ladies. It's just it never, never fails. Oh, holy moly. Okay. When we come back, we got to shift gears. We got to get into the gubernatorial race here in Georgia. As it continues to expand, Hunter Hill just won a straw poll in Cobb County. Casey Cagle getting support from some of the governor's backers. Uh, gaining steam here in Georgia. But there is an undercurrent in the shaping gubernatorial primary in Georgia. 
that the Republican candidates are all lackluster. And I suppose we should, to some degree, challenge that. Uh, before I get out of here, though, we got a new severe thunderstorm warning for Hall County. Uh, actually, Banks Hall and Jackson County. There's severe thunderstorm uh, up there until 6:30. Severe thunderstorm located near Lula, moving northeast at 25 miles an hour. There is hail. Hail uh, damage to vehicles is expected. Uh, the storm is right over Gainesville right now, moving to the east. So uh, Hall County, you got. A severe thunderstorm warning. Be careful up there. It's 6.09. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB and Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We need to get in to the Georgia 2018 gubernatorial race on the Republican side. Uh, Phil, is it Willite? Uh, Phil Willite Sr., He's one of Governor Deal's big supporters, gave a lot of money to Deal. He's in the Gainesville area, owns a packaging firm in Gainesville. Uh, He's appointed to the Board of Regents. Uh, The governor appointed his son to the Department of Natural Resources. They gave a lot of money. There's also been some allegations of impropriety because, um, well, there's some land the AJC found increased in value substantially because of planned taxpayer-funded improvements on the land. Uh, with his son being at the Department of Natural Resources, that was the the implication. Um, he gave a hundred thousand dollars to deals 2010-2014 campaigns for governor. This is a North Georgia thing. He's supporting Casey Cagle now. Uh, and that may become an issue, this uh, this North Georgia support for Cagle and Deal. You've got Ralston up there as well. Um, it, it's something that some people could turn on their head and some may presume to turn on their head. Uh, but this guy's in Gainesville. That's Cagle country. And he's supporting Cagle and urging others to give big money to Cagle as well. So you got that in the works out there now you've also got another big issue out there and that is brian kemp and the elections issue kemp has come out swinging saying that georgia's election system has never been in danger of being hacked other than there have been some lapses of security related to kennesaw state university this the state has been in a contract for 15 years with Kennesaw State University to run Georgia's elections and security lapses uh, have been related to them and not necessarily the government. But Cagle even goes so far there and says that, you know, it's really a media obsession over Russia. There's no there there. And I would agree with him in that regard, that there really is no there there when it comes to Russia. Uh, I mean, they've, they've been looking at this for how long and they found nothing because there's nothing there to find. But they still can't bring themselves to blame Hillary Clinton for her defeat. So they've got to blame something else. And right now they're blaming Russia and claiming the president stole the election with Russia, which is a bunch of hogwash. They just cannot help themselves, though. And then there's the other issue. Hunter Hill is running. Hunter Hill and Michael Williams are the two state senators running. I, I got to tell you, uh, 
I, I don't mean this negatively. I, I I mean nothing bad by it. But I think it's notable that there are two state senators running against the lieutenant governor for governor in 2018 uh, when he is the leader in the Senate. There seems to be some real angst among Republican senators over Cagle running for governor. And it's notable that in a number of straw polls of elected officials, county commissioners and whatnot, he hasn't done well. Uh, and I, I would say for his campaign, that's a warning sign they need to pay attention to. Uh, and part of the problem for Cagle, in all honesty, is that he's been in the shadow of the governor. I mean, you do have to think about this to some degree. Whether or not you like Casey Cagle is beside the point. Casey Cagle has been number two to the governor, and the governor gets the limelight. And Cagle has been respectful of that and has not stepped into the limelight to overshadow the governor. And as a result, you've got individual state senators who go out and campaign on their accomplishments. They authored X, Y, and Z. They did X, Y, and Z. And if Cagle were to do that, it would look like he's stealing the limelight from the governor, which he hasn't done. And so there's some angst there. There are other accusations and management issues and personality conflicts and things like that involved. But that's part of it, uh, that he's got to figure out a way to deal with without stepping on the governor. Uh, so you got Michael Williams and you got Hunter Hill in the state Senate running. Um, Michael Williams, uh, a real good guy. We he, Many of the listeners here supported him when he ran against the chairman of the Senate Banking Committee. He picked off a powerful Republican in a primary. The Chamber of Commerce went to bat against him strongly. And now he's running and in, in, he, he's ver- running a very Trumpian campaign. He was the first elected official in Georgia to come out for Trump. Uh, he got uh, pictured with a, a dubious group taking a picture with him a couple of weeks ago, kind of blew up in his face. Um, real concern there from some Republicans over over that. And Hunter Hill just won a straw poll of the Cobb GOP, which is notable because Cobb is such a powerhouse for Republicans. So Hunter Hill, um, he has the Cobb County support. Now, you would expect that because Hunter Hill represents the Cobb County area. And it's also interesting, a buddy of mine just texted me, it's notable too, because Hunter Hill was the, he didn't go to the, to the barbecue uh, where Cobb County conducted the straw poll. He wasn't even there. Uh, others were there, and he still won. Uh, he came in first. Brian Kemp came in second. Uh, Casey Cagle came in um, third. Michael Williams came in fourth. Uh, and Barry Loudermilk did receive a write-in vote. His wife was in attendance. <laughs> David Schaefer won the straw poll for lieutenant governor, and Buzz Brockway, who I'm supporting for his secretary of state, won the straw poll. Well, of course he did, because everyone should be supporting Buzz for secretary of state. Now, um, the problem for the Republicans running for governor is that there is a narrative development. And listen, let me step back and just say this first. I, I think a bunch of narratives are crap. And you'll just have to excuse me for saying that if you have kids in the car and you're offended by that, but they are. And people spend a lot of time shaping and developing narratives without any regard to actual facts. But more and more, the media has gotten lazy in this country. Layoffs of good reporters, other reporters, they're stretched thin on deadlines and whatnot, and the narratives become compelling. And reporters who are overextended, taxed for time, or lazy, they can latch on to a narrative 
and can completely ignore reporting the facts. And as the media develops a narrative, it leaves an impression in the minds of voters. And if the media repeats the narrative over and over, whether or not it's true or not, it affects the way voters think. And there is a narrative shaping up in Georgia on the Republican side, rightly or wrongly, and I think mostly wrongly, that the Republican slate of candidates for governor is lackluster. That none of them is very inspiring. None of them have a compelling biography. I think if you were to look at Hunter Hill's background, for example, you would find a very compelling biography. Uh, Military service and whatnot. Michael Williams, the same way. Small business background. Uh, Brian Kemp, the same way. Uh, His background in business, uh, becoming Secretary of State, all the things he's done. Even with Casey Cagle as lieutenant governor, he's got a story to sell. They all have stories to sell. Part of the problem is, for example, Hunter Hill and Michael Williams right now, their state senators relatively unknown. Uh, Most of the media doesn't know them. They're going to have a hard time selling themselves because of that. Brian Kemp and Casey Cagle will have an easier time because they're statewide elected officials and relatively known. But even so, you've got this you've got this idea in the head of many reporters that the Republican day in Georgia is coming to an end. The Democrats are on the rise. Demographics is destiny. Events can't change things. And we're, we're running out of good Republicans in the state. That, that's actually what there are reporters in this state who believe that. Uh, many of them believe it because they are partisans of the left to begin with, and they have a vested interest in pushing that story. And you're going to start seeing that story more and more cropping up. And these Republican candidates have got to keep that in mind, all of them, as they start trying to come up with compelling messages to vote for them. And the key first compelling message to vote for them is going to have to be biographical in an age when the media would prefer you to think none of the Republicans is really an exciting candidate. Welcome back. It is 24 after the hour. Let's go back to the phones. Um, uh, Gary and Royston, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for calling. You made a comment earlier uh, that we're running out of Republicans in the state. We will have to do what we did in Atlanta and flood the market with 18 candidates versus their two Democrats. <laughs> well, you know, this is the upside. Now, if you take the media narrative at its face, and I don't, I, I should say that I don't take it at its face. We only got four Republicans running for governor right now. Uh, but if you take the media at its face value that uh, we're running out of Republicans in the state of Georgia, um, you know, people should be happy with that. And I got to tell you, I breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief that we don't have 18 Republicans running for governor right now. Well, I do, too. But I think it's going to backfire in their face, and it's going to pull a lot of uh, Republicans into the race that wouldn't normally be. Yeah, you know, that that is a good point. Also, if you've got all these guys out there and they're not able to persuade the media they've got compelling biographies, you probably are going to see more candidates get into the race. In fact, I'm hearing about three different people who may jump into the race as well, all of whom would come in very heavily funded. Uh, All three are in the business community. 
but I do really worry, though, Gary, that we may get into a six district situation where we got two billion Republican candidates running for governor. Uh, it, what I would take as good news, though, and this is a point that must be emphasized, is that the fact that there aren't a lot of Republicans running right now suggests that the Republicans know they've got plenty of time to wait, that they're not going to lose it in four years. This isn't their last chance to try to have a viable run. That's a good sign. When we come back, we'll keep taking your calls. 404-872-0750. Hello there, Eric Erickson. We're back with Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. Adam, in Athens, you're next. Someone saying... Yeah, I, I hope I'm sane. You might argue, but <laughs> um, I, I appreciate listening to you, and um, I enjoy reading your articles and all, too. And I wondered about getting your opinion. I've got friends who, you know, related to the health care issue and health care as a human right, they'll argue, you know, as a analogy about education, saying, well, government provides education, and they see education as a human right. So... I was wondering, you know, what's your opinion on that one? Well, you know, for people who say education is a human right and government provides it, I would say look at the uh, mass of illiterate people who can't read and can't write because government treated education as a basic human right. And, and now they're stuck in poverty for life because they got such a bad education. Uh, and that's the, the government health care that people want when they say health care is a human right. I don't think health care is a human right. Uh, and I don't think it's a human right because when I look at the Constitution and I look at the Declaration of Independence and I look at the historic writings throughout history of what are and are not rights, I don't see health care listed as a right. Uh, and I don't believe that health care is a right. Um, you, you know, when I was in fourth grade, I remember learning the basic necessities of life, food, shelter, clothing and water. And those seem to be the basics that everybody needs to survive. Food, clothing, shelter, and water. And, it, you know, the left thinks access to the Internet is a human right. Education is a human right. Health care is a human right. Anything the left wants, they declare a human right. The only things that aren't human rights in this world are things the left doesn't care for. So, you know, for example, uh, the Bill of Rights says that the freedom to exercise your religion is a right. And the left says, no, it's not. You can believe it, but you can't exercise it. Go bake a cake, you bigot. I mean, they, they pick and choose what they want. But I will just tell you again, as I began here. When the government starts deciding that the government is going to provide for you. The government screws it all up. And let's say healthcare is a right. Let, let's just say, hypothetically, healthcare is a right. Why does the government have to provide it for you? I mean, the right to keep and bear arms is a right, but the government's not giving me my gun, is it not? I mean, the government isn't out there shoving guns in all of our hands saying, hey, it's a basic right in the United States Constitution. Here's your gun. No, you still got to go out and get it. You can't be denied it. In the same way, you can't be denied access to an emergency room in this country. If you're sick, go to an emergency room, you're going to get treated and the government's going to pay for it if you can't afford it through Medicaid. 
but what the what the Democrats have constructed is this idea that Medicaid is poor people's insurance. And do you know Medicaid is not accepted in most doctors' offices? Do you know there was a kid in Massachusetts or in Maryland a couple of years ago who died because there were only 19 dentists in the state that accepted Medicaid and his teeth rotted. He got a bacterial infection and went to his brain and killed him. That is the health insurance that the left wants. The, the, the left was not outraged by this because the guy had Medicaid. The kid had Medicaid and the government gave him what he wanted. That's their basic right. In the same way, you've got kids in Atlanta who cannot read and cannot write and are being graduated from our education system because by God, it's a right. And so the government's going to give it to you for free. And you know, the value of free, we see it in the graduates who can't get a job and have basic skills because the government treated them to their right. I don't want the government giving me my health care because I know exactly the way it's going to be. Look at our public schools. If you think otherwise, now let's go back to the phones, Mick in Lawrenceville. You're next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, great. I'm a huge fan. Thank you. Listen, you had spoken earlier uh, that the media is developing a narrative regarding Republicans running for governor within the state of Georgia. I yeah. think the narrative is stronger than that. They want to make Kasim Reed governor in Georgia because they want to run Kasim Reed in 2020 because, let's face it, the Democrats, their bench is less deep than the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> yeah, you are You are right. I mean, it is like half the Atlanta media has taken Viagra over Kasim Reed and the thought of him being president. And the thing is, I what I don't think they understand is uh, – you know, Kasim Reed has created a vortex into which he's going to suck all of the counties in the ARC as far as funding for his ego projects. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I what's just happen is. Yeah, go ahead. What's going to happen is that they're going to say he was a great builder. He he did all these great things for Atlanta. But he did things like um, the streetcar of no desire and an NFL stadium we really didn't need and a brave stadium that left the city, um, but somehow the city taxpayers are on the hook for. Right. Hey, and Park so, Atlanta. Let's not forget that. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah, you know, you so know, here's so. the thing. The, the, I, I got to let you go there because we got a hard break coming up. The, the media in Atlanta is fixated over Kasim Reed because a lot of the folks in Atlanta, they, well, they like to suck up to power, and Kasim Reed is power to them. Um, I think Kasim Reed, though, is smart enough to know he probably couldn't get elected statewide in Georgia. Although I agree with you, he definitely, I think there are people pushing him to do it. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Mary, in McDonough, you're next. Welcome. Oh, hey, Eric. Um, I heard you a couple minutes ago talking with another caller about Medicare and how many physicians are not taking Medicare anymore. Medicaid. I'm sorry, Medicaid. Medicare is what I want to ask about. Um, do 
physicians have to take Medicare patients? Can they limit the number of patients they take? How does that work? This is something you know, I should have already looked up. I, I, it's been so long since I dealt with this as a lawyer, but I think physicians don't have to take it. Um, many physicians will take Medicare because the program operates differently from Medicaid, but I don't think that they have to take it in the same way they don't have to take individual insurance companies. Okay, but both Medicare and Medicaid limit the reimbursements that they'll pay yes. to a physician. Right. And um, in talking to my octogenarian parents, par- parents, I'm sorry, I'm nervous, parents, they think that Medicare is what single-payer insurance in this country should be based off of. And what I've been trying to tell them is a lot of doctors are really under-reimbursed Mm-hmm. From what I understand from people that I know who work in insurance claims. Yes. Because, you know, not all doctors are uh, just fabulously rich. They right. have a lot of expenses, and they have to take a cut mm-hmm. on some patients. So um, I, don't, I don't know if you know how the current health care bill floating around addresses this. Well, it, you know, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. It, it really doesn't. And, and that's part of the problem is it essentially overloads the Medicaid system with people who don't necessarily need to be on it, uh, which then restricts their access to doctors because so few doctors take it. It also doesn't increase the Medicare reimbursement rate, which uh, in, it incentivizes doctors to take Medicare patients, but then doesn't actually increase the amount of money they're going to get. So essentially, you're going to flood a lot of doctors offices with patients who are paying them less than the rest of us and the offside effect of it is that then our out-of-pocket costs are going to go up um, because they're going to have to make money from somewhere well most of us our out-of-pocket costs have been going up you know none of these none of these bills obamacare nothing address the rising cost of health care. I'm so you glad you said that. I, I got a hard break here, Mary. I, I got to let you go, but I'm glad you said that because that's the problem, isn't it? That it, it, we've the Republicans are accepting health care as a right, so they didn't design a bill to, to address the cost of health care, just access. We need a bill that addresses costs, not access.